Welcome to the Vegas Gang. Charles S. Monster is on assignment in the Congo this week. Sitting in, we have Dr. Timothy Dressen of 500 Productions. Welcome, Tim. Well, thank you, Hunter. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's our pleasure. Dave, <laughs> how are you? Doing okay. So, um, Chuck is not with us today. As I mentioned, he's on assignment in the Congo. Um, they're bringing casinos to, uh, to Africa. And, Congo uh, tripping. Yeah, see, exactly. That's what he's been working on. Uh, so in, instead, uh, we've, instead of Charles this week, um, we're lucky enough to have uh, Mr. Tim Dressen, who was able to step in, which we appreciate very much. So thank you, Tim, for doing that. Anytime. Um, Charles, we love you and we miss you. Uh, it's never the same without you, but um, we uh, understand that everybody needs a little time to Congo trip. So enjoy your time in the Congo, and um, we hope it's a blast. All righty. Let's see. Uh, bah, bah, bah. A couple of other announcements, and then we've got plenty of stuff to talk about because the world is crazy. Um, first off, audiobook of Grandissimo. I think when we last spoke, it was not yet available, but that is now changed. Dave, tell us yeah. about the audiobook of Grandissimo. It's great. Narrated by Eric Martin, who does this professionally, so who knows what he's doing. So it's pretty good. And it's available pretty much everywhere. It's around $20. You can get it on Amazon. Audible and iTunes. So if you like the idea of the book, but don't see yourself having a lot of time to sit down and read a paperback, audiobook could work very well for you. I love audiobooks. I have to admit, I have not purchased this yet. I am a bad person, but I will do so um, to have it in my collection. It's always good to go back. So I haven't heard Mr. Martin's uh, dulcet tones yet, but I'm sure it's fantastic. It's good. It's really good. I'm wondering oh. if next up somebody will take the audiobook and then uh, animate it. Hey, that would be kind of cool. <laughs> I could totally imagine Jay Sarno as a cartoon character. Yeah. In like 2D old school Disney animation style. That'd be fantastic. Totally yeah. Can you imagine like the Bacchanal with like just chicks everywhere and th showing, throwing grapes in his face? <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Yeah. That's a winner. Um, well, that's awesome. So people can go out and grab it. If you somehow haven't already, don't already have Grandy Smo, you need to hit pause right now and go get it. Um, if you've already read the book, you should get it anyway, because we like to support our independent authors and content producers. Um, so please go out and do that. And uh, thank you, everybody, for supporting Dr. Dave and his book. Thank you. Um, speaking of independent content producers and books that don't yet exist, um, <laughs> I don't want to steal your thunder. I'm sure you'll have plenty to talk about on your own show this week, but uh, maybe worth a mention since um, it was a big splash this week on Kickstarter. Tim, you kickstarted a project to write your own book. Want to briefly tell us what it's all about? I absolutely did. I had this idea a long time ago and I came back to it a couple times and it just never had the really the, the time to pursue writing uh, a guide to Las Vegas. And it's kind of a travel guide, but kind of not. I I have a hard time explaining it, but it's it's going to be sort of 500 by midnight, the book, in a sense. Uh, <laughs> a lot a lot of a lot of me bitching about stuff. Now it'll be it'll be the things that we that that we love, the things that we don't love about Las Vegas. Hopefully some helpful tips and um and a little bit different maybe look at 
the city than what a typical travel guide would have. Uh, so I've wanted to do that for a while. And due to a recent change in my employment status, I decided this might be a good time to give this a shot. So I did the Kickstarter thing and was, was and am overwhelmed with the response that I've received. It's been unbelievable. So it's happening. I've started writing it and I'm really excited to get this thing put together and put out. And I can't, uh, I can't thank the people who have supported it enough. It's absolutely mind blowing. So, uh, you basically decided you're like, I have this, like, you know, the stable job that's been supporting, helping to support my, my household for some time. And one morning you wake up and you're like, fuck this. I'm quitting my job. I'm going to become a high paid author. <laughs> um, parts of that are kind of true. <laughs> the author part didn't come until the didn't come until after that decision. Um, yeah. There was a fuck this moment. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, the uh, intro video for the Kickstarter has a great photo of you with, in what looks like one of your happiest moments of all time. So it sounds like <laughs> I think, this is a long time coming. I sp- suspect in the history of my life that moment will end up being amongst the happiest yes for sure it's pretty awesome so um a couple of details to sort of tease out of you here i'm sure that for those that are somehow not yet aware of this project if they want to so i guess real quick um kickstarter is a website where um, people like tim who want to write a book or create a piece of music or do a video or make a game or whatever they can go on they say i have this idea i need this much money to do it will you um pledge to support this project and uh, then, based on the amount that you pledge, you typically uh, are offered certain incentives to do so. And so it's usually a whole tiered thing with a bunch of options. Um, your project has already met its goal, so this will be funded. This is a happening thing. So we don't have to necessarily scare people into doing it um, to make sure that it gets funded. But, of course, you know, the more that you're able to raise, the more you'll be able to do, I presume. So um, we definitely want to get people over there. Uh, I'll put a link to this in the show notes, or they can go to Kickstarter and uh, and search for it. I think it's pretty easy to find that way. Um, for those people that are wondering about the the book itself, do you have? I realize that especially at the beginning of a creative endeavor, you never really know when you're going to be done. But do you have any kind of a target for for this whole project? I kind of do. <laughs> yes, I mean, I set I set the um, when you put together these incentives, you have to say when you're going to be able to fill them tentatively and. For most of them, I've put December in hopes that I can have things pretty well wrapped up by then. But yeah. we'll see. It's it's a very aggressive schedule. I'm I'm spending pretty much all of my time now in front of the computer writing. So um, I'm hoping I'm able to pull it together and have everything done by then. But um, time will tell. So I yeah I I've never written a book. I've written blog posts. I've written reports. I've written all kinds of. Uh, other communications, but never anything anywhere near as long as a book. I know Dave has written several books. The only thing that I've seen constant with authors that I know and talk to is they always say it takes like 10 times longer than they thought. So I wish you good luck. <laughs> so so you're saying December 2016? Uh, well, yeah, that's, that's probably <laughs> it would be a safer. Uh, did you put a year on there? Probably it was a very, <laughs> a very wise omission. Yeah, I wonder if I can go back and change that. Um, well, definitely want people to go out and support it. I can't wait to read it. I'm sure it's going to be awesome and super fun. So, um, seems like a perfect project for you. Uh, super excited for you and congrats on getting it funded. It's pretty awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Okay. 
Um, our last announcement before we go into topic land is VIMF, of course, VIMF 2014, which is going to be October 18th, 2014 at the D in Las Vegas, downtown Fremont Street. Um, the main event is that Saturday. The main event features uh, our own uh, friend here, Tim Dressen, and his lovely wife, Michelle, doing a live version of their show, Five Hundy by Midnight. Um, we'll also be doing a live edition of the Vegas Gang podcast with a interview subject to be named. And then there will be the always insane Vegas tripping match game, which uh, you really have to experience it to understand it. It's very difficult to explain, but if you're the kind of person that enjoys... Vegas Tripping, or 500 by Midnight, or some of our antics, then I think you'll feel right at home. Um, we Oh, the main event uh, for VIMF is free, um, so you don't need to worry about buying any tickets, though uh, we've pretty much reached capacity every year we've done this, so for folks that uh, really want to make sure that they're there, I suggest that uh, you show up on time. We haven't actually released our official schedule for the event. That will be coming soon. There's been a couple of things that have held that up. Um, good things, not bad things, but these, but sometimes this stuff takes longer than we think. So that will be coming very soon, which we'll be excited to share with you. And um, we will have events sort of throughout the weekend. So, um, you know, stuff scattered through maybe even a little unofficial super uh, open stuff on Thursday and then definitely some stuff on Friday. Um, through Saturday, and uh, maybe a couple of sprinklings on Sunday for those that are interested in attending the various events. So it should be great. Last year was awesome. We're super, super happy that uh, Derek Stevens and his team at the D are willing to welcome us back. Uh, it's very generous of them to do so, so we thank them again. You can go on Facebook if you would like to register your attendance. It's not required. It's not really a formal thing. It's really just to give us a sense of the number of people we should expect. Uh, you can search for the Facebook event, or I'll put the link in the show notes as well. Um, so that is VIMP 2014. I think that's pretty much more or less the details. You can go to VegasInternetMafia.com also to get more information. But yeah, it's going to be fun. I'm pretty excited about it. Are you guys looking forward to it? Wow. <laughs> Crickets. I am. I'm going to have to I'm edit thrilled. that out. That's terrible. We can't. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's the highlight of my year. I can't wait. <laughs> I think it's going to be fun. Dave is. I was muted. Convinced. Ah. I was, I was <laughs> muted there. I was like, right. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. And I'm like, nobody's <laughs> reacting. I'm an asshole. <laughs> no. So yeah. All right, good, good, good. I was worried that the whole event was falling apart. In front no, of my eyes and the-, <laughs> the event's going great. I have the greatest confidence that we will be able to finish our mission. In the I think of the HAL 9000. There you go. Yeah. Kubrick. Probably not the most uh, best omen, but what are you going to do? Well, you know. Yeah, if, yeah. If, if, we are, if our event is as artfully produced as the Kubrick film, I think yeah. we've either done a good job or gone seriously wrong someplace. I'm not sure how to, te- how to peg that one exactly. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. We have to figure out who we're going to have as our interview. Uh, subject. I've got some ideas, but we we will have to talk offline and figure that out. But it should be a lot of fun. All right, that is it for top or announcements. Let's get into some topics. So um, last time around, we definitely spent some time talking about Atlantic City and how it is continuing to experience some troubles. Um, and uh, I believe it's the showboat that's closing on the thirty first of this month. Is that right, Dave? Yes. Yeah, so that that was in the works already. Um, one that was sort of 
on the on the edge that we weren't sure what was going to happen is Revel. So of course Revel is the newest Atlantic City casino construction project, right? So this massive new property, um, billion plus dollars spent to construct this thing. Two point four. Um, Two point four billion dollars. Yeah. So. Uh, it is going to be closing September 10th. They have uh, they they have been trying to find a buyer, and they announced that the bids that they had received none of them were qualified. I assume that's probably a combination of factors, um, not being high enough. I'm sure is one of them. But of course, buying a casino in a state like New Jersey, you have to be licensed, and some folks may not be able to reach that hit that bar. So anyway, they have not yet been able to find someone that's going to. That's willing to take it over, and as such, it's going to close its doors on the 10th of September. So, pretty massive blow to Atlantic City to see, even if symbolically. I mean, Revel clearly has not captured big pieces in the market, but to have your latest and greatest, nicest and newest, you know, arguably, uh, place close um, is really a pretty bad sign. Um, Dave, would you agree or disagree? I would agree. It's actually a pretty terrible sign. It's just shows how bad things are getting with the market there. It's shrinking and there's not a lot you can do about it. People who want to gamble don't have to gamble in anxiety anymore for 30 years or so they did. Now they don't. To me, the key to get it. So we have that fact staring us in the face or punching us in the face to me. The key right now is to get beyond that fact. And I've done a lot of media interviews and everybody's really fixated and, oh my God, it's the end of Atlantic City and it's terrible and it's awful. And they just have this totally bizarre doom ruin fetish hmm. that is it's like, it's sickening. You know, when you, when you agree to do a TV interview and you see the bumper for their day of programming about Atlantic City the next day and it's Atlantic City lights out. You kind of know that they've already made up their mind about what's mm-hmm. going to happen, and it's 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 just dumb to me. It's just really dumb. You well, know, obviously they're having problems, right? But the question is, how do they adjust and respond? And you've got to remember, this is a hundred and fifty year old resort city, mm-hmm. a lot of ups and downs. In the late sixties, early seventies, things looked terrible. They brought in casinos that brought some new life into the city. Now the casinos aren't doing it anymore. The thing is, where do you go after that? That's right. that's what I, that's where I'm at right now with all this whole thing. Well, and of course we've talked about this many times in the show, but you know you have a special connection. You're you're actually uh, from Atlantic City, so you know you have a great insight and uh, connection to the to the place. Um, you know it's we see this kind of thing all the time in other industries, especially right. The newspaper newspaper industry is this great example. The world changed out from underneath it, and for a long time. Uh, old existing businesses were trying to basically make their old business models fit into this new reality. And it has not really worked very well for the people that have even survived long enough to tell the tale. And the, that doesn't mean that media is dead. It just means that the world has changed. And they need to reconfigure their stuff to make it work. And Atlantic City is going to have to go through that process as well. And, and it's going to be really painful. And unfortunately, that means that people are going to lose some jobs uh, in the in the process, I'm sure of it. But it, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of infrastructure there. There, there is still a market there. It's shrunk significantly, but it's not like it's down to zero. Uh, it just the things things need to be reconfigured to reflect this new reality, and they need to, in my opinion, look at it from the perspective of 
you know, where where are things going? Not can we apply our old business model to uh, to the way things have gone? But I haven't actually been to Revel. Uh, I know Dave, you have been. Um, Tim, you've been to AC a few times, right? But have you been to Revel? I've not. I've been to Atlantic City in let's see, just twice, two thousand five and two thousand eight. And this whole okay. thing, I, I had a great time there. It was really fun. But when we were that there in that time period. The city was on uh, quite an upswing. Rebel was in the process of being built at that point. There was uh, still hope that Pinnacle was going to build on the old Sands uh, property. Borgata was still relatively new. Caesars had just opened its its shopping complex. Tropicana uh-huh. had gone, undergone some update. There's all this stuff happening, and and then just to see it within just a couple of years head downhill so quickly. It's just it's sad but i think to dave's point and i think you've discussed it in the past on this show the ability to reinvent itself that's one of the things that's kept las vegas alive for so long you know obviously there's still the gambling base there but it's diversified itself so much that that's not as important as it was you know 30 years ago now obviously atlantic city's not going to be able to follow the vegas model exactly but if there are cues that they can take and figure out like Dave said, what's next? Um, I think the city will come back. It's just going to be different. Yeah. I I guess the question, though, is, you know, Las Vegas has really succeeded by reinventing itself. But if you look at the time scale in which a lot of that occurred, it was fairly, it was fairly elongated, right? Atlantic mm-hmm. City doesn't have the benefit of taking 20 years to shift their business model completely, right? And if there's... If they continue on this ski slope for the next 20 years while they're figuring it out, I think they'll really be in trouble um, if they're even still around, right? So they have to do this. They have to really hop on hop on top of this and, and get it nailed down ASAP or else they're going to be – it's going – or else it will, will continue to be more dire. Yeah, um, I mean from the gaming perspective, it's definitely going to be dire. It's just managing to diversify somewhat. And do other stuff. I'm also the other thing that bugs me is that somebody puts out a report, you know, an investment bank that just lost two billion dollars in a casino in Vegas puts out a report predicting there's going to be six <laughs> casinos left in 2017, and everybody's treating it like, you know, somebody walked out of the TARDIS and uh, had a picture of 2017. You know, it's kind of funny. It seems like the more confidently you say something, no matter what your track record, the uh, the more people believe you. But when you say, yeah, a lot of things could happen. It's a complex situation. Nobody wants to believe. Nobody wants to listen. So that's just frustrating. It's really I, frustrating. I'm pretty sure those market analyst people literally just make stuff up. Uh, it's amazing that any any of them ever are ever listened to considering, across industries, considering how often they're completely wrong. Um, but they seem to somehow capture the imagination of the media again and yeah. again, because I've seen that a zillion times. Because in 2017, who's going to go back to these guys and say, oh, right. yeah, you know, You're there's wrong. actually eight open or there's four open. Yeah, no, there, it's never, it's, it's like an unfalsifiable prediction because by the time it comes, you know, by the time it's 2017, nobody's going to remember it. Nobody's going to care. But right now it gets a big pop. So given that we literally just were saying how these guys are full of shit and no one can predict, how big do you think the market will be, Dave? <laughs> you know, it all depends on what, it's not a, it's not a, the thing is, it's not static. It all depends on what they do. If you looked, and I know people hate the Vegas analogy, but if you look at Vegas in 1988, you would say, yeah, 
this is maybe a $2 billion market. Okay. And you can have a lot of charts and a lot of graphs and looking at the growth of the past five years and say, yeah, this is maybe a $2 billion market. You know, then you get Steve Wynn come in and build Mirage. Then Kirk builds MGM and you have a lot of other money coming in. And all of a sudden it's a $6 billion market. So it changes. You know, if you look at Reno in 2000, you're like, yeah, this is, this is easily, it's a $1 billion market. Now, I could easily see this being a $1.5 billion market in 15 years. You know, now it's, I think, a $700 million market. So it all depends on what people are doing. It's kind of like the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. You know, if, yeah, if you right. know where it is, you're not going to know where it's going because right. you don't know where it's going. That's not really the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Um, so forget that. But you know what I'm saying? It, it all depends on what they do. If they do nothing, it's going to slowly shrink. If they do something, and maybe it's not going to be just gaming that's going to grow. It could be other stuff that's growing. It's, that's the Schwartz uncertainty principle. Yeah. Um, so before we move on from AC, I thought, of course, you sort of, I think, embedded in some of your uh, discontent is people's tendency to sort of want to kick people when they're down. Uh, and you see this all. This is not unique to Atlantic City's coverage at all. But, yeah, of course, super common, right? Especially... A, um, if someone has been successful, there's sort of it's it's a one of America's favorite pastimes, right? Is is um, t- talking shit and making people feel terrible, um, and we definitely see that in this coverage. I, there was a story about how Donald Trump was trying to get his name taken off the casinos that co- carry his name in Atlantic City because they, you know, it's bad for for PR, I guess, or whatever. He doesn't want his name associated with with <laughs> the city, and that story was reported with glee. Uh, so I definitely know what you mean in terms of people love these sort of s- semi-salacious uh, negative stories that uh, doom and gloom stories, I guess. Yeah, it's also a lot of re- revisionist history. You know, now the story is that, well, Atlantic City never worked and it was, oh, you know, casinos failed it from the start. When in fact, and I've said this so many times, I feel funny saying it again, from 1983 until 1999, Atlantic City made more money from gambling than the Las Vegas Strip did. Right. No, I'm just was... going to keep on repeating that factoid until somebody acknowledges it, because it's true. So it was very successful in the early 80s. Vegas was very afraid of competition from Atlantic City. Of course, I have that in that the casino edition of Roll the Bones, and I've written about that. And uh, it's just people have to acknowledge that, that yes, it was successful, but then things change and it is no longer successful. Yeah. So, Tim, what would it take to get you and Michelle back to Atlantic City for another trip? Hmm, that's a good question. I've I've come close several times. Actually, I almost went to the opening of of Revel, and then I was lured to Las Vegas instead, as happens with me. Uh, I I would still, I would it wouldn't take a lot to be quite honest with you. I would still go, um, but certainly it's not. Typically, when we went in the past, there was a reason. We had there was a concert on for one of them, and the, the other one I think it was just like super cheap airfare that we couldn't resist or something. Um, I I'm I I could see myself going again. I don't I don't know what it would take. Quite honestly, that's that's a tough question. I'd love to go back, um, but it's been a while since I've been. I haven't been to Rebel, so but it's for me here in California. It's all the way across the country. Plus, I can't really fly there. I have to fly to Philadelphia and then make my way there somehow. Just kind of <laughs> well, that's one of the ass. that's one of the things too. Just uh, obviously, hindsight is twenty twenty. But the fact that that city, when it was doing well, never never did anything to um, 
<laughs> make the airport more accessible. It's a tiny airport, and there are very few airlines that actually fly to it. So they and I know that they depended on East Coast drive up traffic, and and that was kind of their model. But it's it's nearly impossible for anybody in the rest of the country to get there easily. Right, which is a pain. Yeah. All right. Well, it's sad to see the place uh, having to shut down. I hope they do find somebody that is willing to invest in it and keep all these people working and keep the place open. Um, but uh, as of right now, August 15th, doesn't look super great. So we'll, of course, continue to talk about what's going on with Rebel and Atlantic City in general. But for now, we're going to zoom across the country. Uh, to Las Vegas, where we're where I would like to talk about the ten percent owned SLS. Um, <laughs> SLS is of course opening uh, on the twenty third, I believe, which is what a week from tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. So it's really coming up here on us quickly. SLS is the former Sahara Hotel in Las Vegas. It's been transformed over the past couple of years by Sam Nazarian and SBE, um, or at least that's what we thought, um, depending on who you talk to. We, there's a couple things I want to touch on here. So, Dave, you toured the place again. So I took a tour a couple of months ago when it was very much under construction. I, Dave, you did a tour recently, which we're going to get into in a minute. I assume it's much less under construction. I'm sure, sure there's <laughs> probably still some people running around doing stuff. Um, but what I'd like to talk about first is the gaming control board hearing for licensing of this place because it was fascinating. Um, Howard Setz, RJ reporter, was live tweeting some of the details out of the hearing, and we learned stuff that, as far as I know, nobody knew before. Um, so the first thing that, that sort of pops up is that uh, Nazarian was not there to be licensed. So his, uh, he's, I guess, sounds like he's being investigated. That's the way that process works. There's an application with an investigation period where they sift through your whole life. Um... And that process is ongoing, so he actually wasn't one of the folks there being licensed. Um, but what was truly fascinating was the sort of description of who owns what and how who reports to whom and who has the power, uh, especially when you think about like life imitating art. Um, that basically what falls out of this is that SBE is I think about ten owns about ten percent of of the interest in the project, which is pretty fascinating because the way this whole thing has been branded is that this is like Sam's hotel and that SBE is running this place and that they're in charge and it's their show and they do everything. And really, if you go by the numbers, they're a tiny minority player that's like throwing some brands into the mix. And, uh, even if, even the, uh, the quotes from the, the uh, the gentleman from the financing company that owns the rest of the rest of the place, um, you know, he was very charitable when he was describing this arrangement. Basically, saying, "Oh yeah, Sam's great. Like he brings people together. Like we wouldn't be here if it weren't for him. He's awesome. He's the man." Um, but I make all the decisions. Rob Osland works for me. Sam doesn't have a key to the front door. Um, <laughs> so it was very interesting to see this whole thing go down. So of course, the question, and I promise I'll stop my my sermon here in a minute, but. Of course, the question is, you know, is that true? Is what we're saying true? Either, it, yes, it is, all of the stuff is true, and Sam Nazarian is not going to be the head honcho of the property, which is fascinating because he's been built up as the guy, the guy for this place, 
Or is the other thing true? Is this like straight out of Casino where he's, you know, operating the whole, pulling all of the strings and making all the decisions without being licensed because for whatever reason, and I, we don't know this is be true. Who knows? He might get licensed tomorrow. But if for some reason licensing him is problematic because he has complicated business deals or whatever, it's, it's very interesting to look at this whole thing and see how this goes. So I guess, Dave, I'd love to start with you as the sort of preeminent historian, all this stuff. When you were watching, I'm sure you saw all of these tweets and are familiar with this story. What did you think as you were seeing this unfold? Were you surprised to get some of these details? Yeah, it was fascinating. You know, I my perspective is you've got to think that with the time that he's been in Las Vegas, he has to know whether or whether or not he's going to be found suitable for a license, so I think he will ultimately be found suitable. It's just that that process is going to take a while. Don't know why, because I don't know anything about what's going on, but if you're somebody who's invested this much money and has been surrounded by gaming attorneys for so long, as I'm guessing he is, you know, in that process, you find out pretty quickly whether or whether or not you're going to pass muster. So I think it'll take it some time, but he will probably ultimately get his license. Yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those things where you, like you said, you kind of know if you're going to make it or not, and you don't even submit for the application if you know you're not, because being found unsuitable is way worse than never even applying in the first place. So you don't even go there if you know that you're not going to make it. Yeah, yeah, you know, and if he was, he would, I'm guessing that his share of it would be worth a lot less than if he had sold before he would have been potentially found unsuitable, so... I'm not seeing that really being in the cards. So, Tim, do you believe this? Do you really feel like this is actually possibly the way that this is set up, or is this just a giant, uh, you know, Rosenthal-esque scheme? I don't know. It's just, it's just strange. The fact that he's been put out there as the face of this property from the time that Sahara closed its doors through now. I mean, the day after the hearing, Fast Company had this big article all about Sam and how he's changing right. Las Vegas. It's like, really? And yet he's supposedly has no authority to make management decisions. Seems rather odd. There's, it just, it's odd. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't understand it. It is odd. And the way that I don't know a ton of SLS employees, but I, I know a couple have talked to a couple. They definitely make it seem like Sam's their boss, right? There's, there's none of this like, Oh, we're, he's just figurehead guy. Like, I wonder if some of them even knew some of this stuff. Because it, it was I, at least pretty shocking to me the way this whole thing has been set up. I, I you know, of course, Stockbridge, they put in a ton of money. I, I'm not surprised at all to hear that they have a, a big chunk. But the way the operationally, the way things are set up, I mean, they went out of their way, which I'm, they had to for the purposes of this hearing, but they went out of their way to basically underline and underscore that he's not involved in operational these kinds of operational decisions which just is completely counter to the whole narrative about this place which is just amazing well now the I'll question say. is on the uh the at the august 21st i think there's another hearing with the gaming commission right so i'm wondering how much additional scrutiny this arrangement's going to get or if it'll just be a rubber stamp i don't know dave I was going to say something, you know, the whole talk of Sam not being involved. When you pull up from the Portica share, and it's not assembled yet, but I've been told it will be assembled at some point in the next eight days, the thing you see in the middle of the Portica share is going to be a sculpture called Sam by Stark. 
So it's Rob Stark's interpretation of Sam Nazarian, which I didn't, it, it's not ready yet, so I didn't see it. I probably am going to try to get my picture taken in front of it with a Vegas tripping sign and uh, send a postcard to Chuck, because I know he'll love it. <laughs> um, so you get mail yeah. in the Congo? <laughs> so Go it's going to be, yeah, you know, adding on to what you guys were saying, it's it's going to be very difficult to argue that he's somehow not not centrally involved with the operation of the place. On the other hand, unlike Mr. Rosenthal, he does not have an extensive background in gaming operations. So right. from that perspective, it makes a lot of sense to say that. You know, I could see you saying that. Yeah. Well, and of course, they hired Rob Osland, who is a seasoned, mm-hmm. well-respected guy, super nice guy, very smart, um, to to run gaming and hotel stuff. And uh, that was a masterstroke. That was a, that was a great hire. Um it's still it, this is strange. This is like finding out that Steve Wynn is basically just signs his name to the top of the building and doesn't do anything else. I mean it's it's may not be quite that dramatic, but it it's it's uh, pretty amazing in my opinion the re- this kind of, these revelations. Um so I want to talk more about the property because as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, Dave, you were cruising through there. What was it a couple of days ago? Just recently? Yesterday. Um, all right, great. So fresh in your mind. Well, I guess, you know, I'm sure the listeners are all super curious oh. about um, pretty much everything. So I think this is one of those things where you probably can't go into too much detail, but why don't you, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about, about your tour um, as much as you can. And, um, yeah, I'd love to try and match that up with uh, my my experiences there, which were, you know, these places sort of go through fits and starts in terms of, like, what's finished when. So I went through rooms that were done and a bunch of stuff that was completely, uh, you know, just not even, didn't even have drywall up. And it's really a combination of stuff. Stuff's finished in different phases. And so um, maybe some experiences we compare. But I'd love to hear about your about your tour and how it was and your impressions and all that good stuff. Sure. I'm going to do this kind of in the whole memory palace type thing. So I'm just going to go chronologically, geographically as I got there. So um, show up, park in the employee parking lot, cross Sahara, go in through the Sahara employee entrance, uh, meet by PR contact Mike, and he walks me through the back of the house to basically where life, the big club is going to be. Uh-huh. Back of the house, it's you can tell that this is an older casino. The hallways are very narrow. It's not like the huge, huge uh, quarters you're used to in Bellagio or the newer places. So it's it's kind of, it's kind of cool going back there. Um, come out there, it's and ended up in front of Bizarre Meats. I'm <laughs> not sure I have yeah. the name of that right. Yeah, yeah it's it's Bizarre Meat by Jose Andres. Yeah, you know, it could. Yeah, at least it's not Jose Andres's meat. <laughs> so small things I've, and I gotta say so even from the back of the Wait, house are you saying his meat his meat is small I thought he only served big cuts there it's a huge restaurant so I'm just, yeah. we're just making really bad really bad <laughs> yeah. penis jokes okay go ahead yeah um, so so even in the back of the house I kind of smell this camping barbecue type smell <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of like wow this is really cool I'm suddenly feeling kind of really cool about this because this is sparking Pleasant memories that I don't think I've ever really had of camping and things barbecuing. And you, you go and so you go up to Bizarre Meat, and the centerpiece of the thing is this whole area where they're cooking with wood and charcoal and basically no gas or electric meat. 
And they've got, and I'm not a huge barbecue person, but it was fascinating. They've got this grill, which has a handle and you can raise and lower the grill, I guess, to get the meat done better, more or less well done. So it's really neat. And they're, they do all this stuff on site. They've also got some very high tech gas charcoal hybrid that apparently can cook an entire chicken in about 60 seconds. Wow. So yeah, it's, and they were when I went in there, the guy, the oh man, I forget the name. See, I should write these things down. Didn't want to take pictures because I didn't want to be kind of oh, I'm gawking and I'm going to put this stuff up on, uh, you know, I'm going to tweet this stuff like some hack. So I didn't take a picture, but this oven, I forget the brand name, but there was a product rep from the oven company showing the chefs how to use the oven, and they were preparing octopus. Huh. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, and he's showing, okay, you do this, da, 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 put it in there, take it in for this long. It was really neat to see how that happens. So there, while I was there, and just kind of the backdrop of this whole thing is while I'm there, there were at least four or five different orientation groups getting their orientation. And the restaurants are staffing up. They're all doing their stuff. All the pretty much in the nightclubs, everywhere they're doing orientation, which is really exciting. It's that feeling just of total optimism and anything can happen, and we're all glad that we have jobs, which right. you know I kind of remember from my orientation back in Atlantic City, and now most of those people aren't going to have jobs, which is sad. But you know, it was it was neat to see. So Bizarre Meat is there. Next to Bizarre Meat, you've got the I think it's called the Centro Bar, which is going to have pretty much the not quite a meat focused menu. Small bites, more of the traditional Jose Andres stuff that you might know from Haleo. So they're going to have that at that bar. Next to it, you have this gaming area that's sort of a mega-sized cabana gaming type thing. So remember when the Cosmopolitan opened, they had those gaming – was that how they called them? Cabanas? They they call them casino cabanas, yes. Casino yeah, cabanas. it sort of reminds me of like uh, I don't know, like kind of like like the Deuce tries to do at Aria a little bit. It's not enclosed yeah. in the same way, but it's sort of like a separate mini casino. Well, it's a separate mini casino with with um, drapes that you can draw around it. Right. And it was pretty, you know, it was, I would say probably maybe a six game pit surrounded by tables. You know, little um, booth, you know, lounge booth type tables. And the concept there is that you know. You and Tim and Chuck are in there playing high stakes blackjack and I'm hungry and I don't feel like playing. So I sit down at the table and I can order off the Centro or Drop Bar, whatever it was called. I forget the name now. Um, off of that bar menu and they deliver it right to me there. And yeah, there's so a bar. Just hold on. Press pause yeah. for a minute. I guarantee yeah. that won't be there in like six months. Okay. That sound, that's one of those <laughs> ideas that like sounds really good on paper and just does not work at all. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know how big the the Venn diagram of people co, you know, co visiting with people who gamble who also want to do that is. But at least it's an idea. We'll and see. Hey, yeah, maybe maybe it will work. So that that was kind of different. One one thing that I liked around the bizarre meet is they have this instead of just having the usual kind of, kind of drywall, they have a tapestry type thing. Right. Just kind of cool. It's just different. It's just different. It's kind of vaguely hunting-themed tapestry, which I thought was kind of cool. I, I would say, just to inject, in general, I was like pretty impressed. One of the things that impressed me about the place in general was that they have sort of embraced their constraints of not having a ton of money. Like They know that they don't, instead of just, and instead of um, that being the thing that 
drags everything down. They've tried to get clever in yes. hiding some of the some of the sort of the things that they don't have super buco bucks to do. So I, I thought that was a really interesting approach. Yeah. So you know, it's not a win level finish, but instead of having to be a palace station level finish, they kind of made it quirky, which is right. which I like. So you've got that. Um, going then you've got the life, which is looks pretty neat. I'm not a huge nightclub person, but it seemed a little bit like light that nightclub, which I wrote an article about a while ago, with the volume turned a little bit up, just seemed to be a little bit more immersive with the um, TV screens and uh, pricey bottle service lists. So, you know, not too much to say about that. It looks like it'll be cool. That's all. Casino itself is pretty interesting. There's some nice little details on the carpet in that um, not a Casino Cabana, Casino Cabana area. They have the Sahara logo in the carpet, and it looks better than it sounds. Um, There's there's lots of cool little things like that. Walking around the property, I really liked the way it looked. You could kind of tell that it was the Sahara at some points, but at other points you couldn't. I think the Portica Share is really incredible. I like what they did there. It almost looks like an Apple store, kind of this white glowing area. When you walk in, and I think that drive up is going to be, I think that's going to be really neat for a lot of people. It looks kind of like what you said. It's obvious that, yeah, this isn't going to be Wind Tower Suites or Encore Tower Suites, Portica Share, but it just looks cool. It looks different. So I I like that. Uh, Wandered through a couple of the restaurants, got to sample a cocktail at Griddle Cafe, which was pretty good. It's called the Cabana Boy. Uh, neither here got to meet the owner of the griddle cafe and she was pretty cool and she had designed the cocktail she um so that was kind of neat to watch them going through the thing and this was kind of cool to get to see them figuring all the stuff out how are we going to do this and we're training everybody so there was that um saw pretty much all the restaurants after reading chuck's review i was really excited about clio after going into clio i'm even more excited about clio it it looks really neat according to Rob Osland, it's going to be about a $45 average check, which makes it a lot more affordable than a lot of similar places in the Strip. Although I don't think there's any place that's quite doing that Mediterranean thing in the Strip. Yeah, so Lava that, maybe, but not even really. I mean, they're more yeah, Italian than... Yeah. yeah, so that I could see that being different. Um, so yeah, I'm not talking about the most important thing, which is it was Rob Osland who was walking me around and showing me all this stuff. And I could go, you know, you guys already know the restaurants, thanks to VT. Yeah. They look like restaurants. The beer garden, kind of neat outdoor thing. I like the fact that it's right on Las Vegas Boulevard there. It's a different kind of legitimately urban vibe than you'll get in other places, so I kind of like that. Um, That was just my impression there. It'll be cool to be drinking a beer, you know, in a Vegas casino, and you can see the world's biggest gift shop. I think that'll be cool. You know, I like I I but I like that kind of stuff. So it's yeah. not, you know, I can see it not being like, "Oh my god, this is so exclusive and nobody's in here." You know, people will be wandering in and wandering out. So the coolest thing is that Rob Austin was showing me around and 10 days before opening, that's kind of a it's kind of a very nice yeah. thing to do. He's Took busy. it was about an hour and a half and uh he told me that they're pretty much going to live or die, and I don't think those are her, his words, but they're pretty much going to live or die by their restaurants and their nightlife, and they know that. 
You know, they know that, yeah, this isn't going to be, we're not going to get a ton of super high rollers coming in here off the bat. We have to be distinctive through our nightlife and our restaurants. I can't really speak to nightlife, um, but I think the restaurants could do it because they do have enough stuff that's unique to Vegas that I think people would go there for it. Yeah. So that was interesting. Also saw rooms in the Lux Tower. Yeah. Which uh-huh. is the – I also really like – they have something there that's also pretty cool that's, again, taking advantage of their constraints and making it a positive. So the Lux Towers, where their suites are, they carved out this little separate VIP registration area mm-hmm. um, right about 10 feet away from that elevator bank. And the neat yep. thing is is that you pull in to the basically back of the house area with loading docks and stuff. So it's kind of, it kind of reminded me of that scene in Goodfellas where they come in through the back of the restaurant. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like Cabana, man. That was a great scene. Yeah. Which is, you know, so it's going to be that vibe. So I can see, yeah, you've, you've got your limo, you pull up there and you're like, oh, wow, we're going the wrong way. And then you're, oh, no, this is for you. And you get this very special entrance that nobody else does. So I think people will like will like that. Um, the ho- the Lux Tower itself, the rooms look really cool. Obviously, smaller than what you would be used to on the Strip. But yeah. again, the I liked, I really liked the way they were designed. I, the ones I saw were Stark and Gensler that did it. Mm-hmm. They very quirky, very French boudoir looking, which ordinarily wouldn't be my, you know, wouldn't be my thing. But in the context, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. And if I was staying here, I'd be kind of excited and I wouldn't be fixated on the fact that, yeah, this room is smaller than what I've been used to and what I could get at Aria. So it was, I, I, I think they did a really good job. I think they did a really, really good job. So Tim Dressen. Yes, sir. Um, I, you're, of course, welcome to ask Dave any questions you may have about his tour. But I'm really just wondering where, where you are at with SLS at this time. I mean, I know – so on this show, like, if you go back years, like, we mocked SLS and the whole concept um, as never going to happen kind of stuff. And I, I, I feel like I, – I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like there was a period where maybe you were a little bit less sure. Obviously, anybody that subscribed to that line of thinking was wrong. Um, and here we are today, but I'm just curious where you are in this whole SLS evolution and what you excited, you planning to go check it out or even maybe stay there. What's your thinking on it? I am thrilled that I too was wrong because I never thought this project would happen, would be completed. And the main reason for that is because it was done in such a different manner than how resorts are typically built in Las Vegas. And it didn't make any sense how they approached it, but I was wrong. They made it happen, and not only that, but it's opening ahead of schedule, which never happens in Las Vegas. So kudos to them. I'm, I'm happy to eat crow on this one. I can't wait to see it. I'm excited whenever there's a new casino opening in Las Vegas. It's exciting. And it'll be interesting to see how they're able to uh, build on the bones of an old casino, kind of similar to what, what Downtown Grand did, um, but, but make it an entirely new place. So I'm, I'm yeah, I'm planning to hopefully go see it not opening weekend, but sometime within the first month that it's open. And I don't know if I'll be staying there or not. I'm thinking probably not, but I do pl- plan to spend quite a bit of time just to get a feel for the place. Yeah, I was really tempted to go for the opening, and it it didn't end up working out for me. Um, but uh, I'm very curious to see how it goes. Um, I too am happy to be wrong on this point. I still think. You know, given it's easy, I've gone through this a few times now, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm the super, the super experienced casino opening guy. But I've, you know, I've seen a few, and I've been fortunate enough to uh, be able to see a few of these places before they've opened and sort of track that process over the last couple of years. And 
there's this sort of unstoppable energy, and Dave, you alluded to this a minute, a little while ago, where you're just talking, the sort of feeling that like anything is possible, and this is great, and it's so awesome. And I've, I have been guilty of being sort of sucked up into that vortex several times, where it's really easy to be, to fall on the optimistic side of things, because you see all these people, and they're so happy, and things are humming, and it's working, and like, man, isn't this amazing? Um, and that's fantastic, but they still do have some real challenges, especially their location, right? And I'm going to be really interested to see how they're able to uh, thread that needle with the walk-up situation not being super fantastic for them, right? I mean, the Fontainebleau is, is still going to be there, no matter how optimistic people are about the place. Um, they're still going to have this giant, hulking, half-finished building as their neighbor. Um, and their other neighbor is the Stratosphere and Circus Circus, which, you know... I'm sure they'll get some people that will come in and they will spend some money. Um, but they are not – if you got to pick your neighbors in the Las Vegas Strip, those are not the ones you'd pick. Dave, are, what do you any, – any further revelations on location? Yeah. You know, I think they're aware that it's a challenge. And I think that as time goes by, it'll be less of a challenge. You know, they're putting money into the Westgate, which is good. There, You've got the potential of a, of a – almost called it Echelon, Resorts World coming online. So I think if they can hang on for a couple of years, they could be in a very good good position there. Also, I would not discount that Rock and Rio, Rock City site that MGM is building across the street. That's going to be huge. And even if you're only, so let's say they're only doing 10 events a year there, or even five events a year with 80,000 people, that's going to really help that property. So it's, it's going to be pretty big, I think. But so, Tim, when you guys stay on the strip, like, I don't know, maybe you stay at the Cosmopolitan or maybe you stay Planet Hollywood or somewhere, are, are you walking to the Riviera very often? <laughs> uh, no, not very often at all. That's, yeah. that's a big issue. And I was actually thinking about Riviera today. It's funny you should mention that because, um, you know, I, that location, it's just – it's so problematic being on, on that far away from things. Same with Stratosphere. Um, and, but, but let's say Riviera specifically, I kind of dump on that place as being completely void of life. It's, it's, it feels horrible to be in there because there's just no energy at all. And right. yet I was thinking if that exact building, that exact casino were on Fremont Street and had the traffic of Fremont Street, It'd be a perfectly nice place. It would fit right, in so yeah. much better there. So location really is any is is absolutely everything, and I that's going to be the biggest battle for SLS. I'll certainly visit, but I don't really other than the initial curiosity factor, and maybe if there's a restaurant that's a big draw that gets me to come back a couple times, I don't see myself spending a ton of time there after the initial you know walk couple walkthroughs. Yeah, I yeah I still feel like it's the biggest thing, and we'll just have to see how that ends up, but. It is, as Downtown Grand has showed us, it is really hard to conquer that and to solve that problem. Um, people see small distances as, it, as really significant problems. So we'll have to see how it goes. But um, I, don't, I, I wish, them, wish them well next week with their opening. I wish I could be there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I hope, I hope things go well. And I'm looking forward to trying it out sometime, sometime soon as well. Not exactly sure when, but, um, yeah. So... Congratulations to everybody at SLS for getting the place open. Good work. Um, okay, I, I want to try. We're sort of we're we're going a little bit over our time here, and I want to make sure to be respectful of everybody's time. I want to try and jam through a couple of things quickly here 
um, before we before we run up. And one is it would be irresponsible for us not to mention the New Frontier site uh, and what's going on there. Uh, and that is interesting because, of course, New Frontier site across from when Las Vegas has been empty for ages. Uh, for a long time, there was the promise of a plaza, uh, a Vegasified version of New York City's Plaza Hotel. That, of course, has not happened, despite them fighting the downtown folks over the name, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but now word just recently that uh, James, famous Australian quadrillionaire James Packer is uh, investing in that site, and his partner is none other than Andrew Pascal, who, of course, was the president of Wynn and Encore right across the street um, and is the nephew of Elaine Wynn, um, Steve Wynn's ex-wife. So Pascal, of course, has been running the company that makes the My Vegas social app thing. Um, we had him on this show about 11, 10, 11 months ago now, and it was really interesting to go back and look at that conversation because he talks about his sort of TikTok in and out of the casino industry, and, he, and his career has followed that trajectory where he's sort of bounced in and out. And apparently he's bouncing back in and uh, potentially in a really big way. So it's hard not to see this as good news, right? An empty speck of dirt is being turned into another resort but i can't wait to see potential fireworks fly if he's competing with his former boss across the street i mean i just that's got to be the best thing to watch ever are you guys excited about about this whole thing I and mean, we don't know very much yet but i i don't know it's got to be fun tim what do you think i love the potential here i love the potential for um a uh, rivalry between between him and steve Wynn. There's just so much drama there. Like there could be a movie made out of it, possibly, or it may end up being very boring. But the, ah. the, pot- the potential of of there being a, a very visible competition could be fun, especially yeah. when when Steve gets irritated and starts to snipe in the media. If we get start right. to see that, it'll be really fun. So I look at um, I f- I feel in with uh, after looking at sort of all of the mergers and consolidations that took place in the 2000s. I I look back at it now and feel like that was a big mistake and that. Things were more fun, at least, when we had all these different companies that were just really fighting each other to the death to win customers over. Um, And the consolidation really, I think, changed that quite a bit. And so now I'm thrilled to see new entrants coming in, whether it's SLS or Resorts World or these guys on the Frontier site, um, to build up new companies that are going to fight and compete. I feel like it's only going to be better for us as um, Las Vegas customers I I don't know. I hope I hope this whole thing. Obviously, all we've got now is some some press releases, maybe a, a check or two, and a bunch of dirt. But um, I I think this could be awesome. Pascal is an incredibly smart, dude. Uh, I think it's going to be great. Dave, anything you want to add on this? Pretty much. I'm I'm in line with you there. I think it's going to be good for everybody. It's going to put pressure on win. Going to put pressure on everybody else to give a better product. So it's great news. You know, getting outside capital into Vegas is always something that is a positive. Yeah. And Packers kind of had a, he's, I think wanted to be in Vegas for a long time and has had a sort of tough time uh, making that all work. Uh, got made, made a couple of bad bets through the, through the uh, financial crisis era there, but um, good to see that he's able to, to do something. I can't wait to see how it goes. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish. It'd be fun. Um, okay, so before we go, I want to squeeze in one thing because – oh, hello, Siri. Um, <laughs> I have iOS 8 on my phone, and like when you say, hey, Siri, she responds. And so she just did that, even though I didn't say, hey, Siri. But that's Siri for you. 
Um, okay, so Brett, before we go, I want to squeeze in one last thing, which is Henry Rollins. <laughs> so um, this is, I think, a especially good one to get while Tim's with us here today because, you know, at, at, for those that don't know, Tim's a, a huge music fan. Um, I don't know if you are a Black Flag fan or a Henry Rollins fan or anything. Maybe you're a huge anti-fan. That's maybe even better. But Rollins was did, did a thing in LA Weekly saying how he thought Las Vegas was terrible except for the fact that it employs people. Um, that's my synopsis of his article. Um, Dave, you actually spent some time with him, right? Because yeah, you were filming yeah. the show. So I guess why don't I let you frame this and then you guys can say if Henry Rollins is, is on point or full of shit. Well, I'm kind of glad he didn't say that Vegas sucks because you have stupid talking head people there because um, that was kind of what I was doing. But so he, they were interviewing, interviewing me for the show, 10 Things You Don't Know, and they're doing an episode in Las Vegas. So they talked to me about two things, actually, and spent a lot a lot of time with uh, Mr. Rollins, probably about four hours altogether. It was pretty cool and got to talking about the show and about Vegas and yeah, he kind of – so basically they're in Vegas for a couple of weeks doing this. They're also doing the Hoover Dam show. He's talking about kind of wandering around the Strip and exploring and, and walking all over and talking to people. And yeah, you know, I kind of understand why coming from his background, why he would have that reaction to it. But at the same time, what he didn't get at in that piece was that he seems to have a real deep appreciation for the history of Vegas – and for what the city's all about, we we're talking about movies, and he was a huge fan of that Rat Pack movie that was on HBO a while ago. Oh yeah, sure. And he, you know, so I say because it was one of the. So we were at one of those times where you just kind of have to t to pretend to talk for the camera. And just go, hey, ask me anything. So I'm like, so what do you like about Vegas? And he thought for a second, said, you know, the Rat Pack era and kind of that vibe. So he's re really into that. Um, says he watches Casino a couple times a year. So it's not like he's coming at it from, hey, I hate Vegas because it doesn't live up to my highbrow concept of entertainment. You know, I think that's just his gut reaction. But he seems to, you know, he he seemed pretty cool to me. Yeah. So, Tim, did you read this thing? What do you think? You, you I, valued Rollins' opinion? I did. I like Henry Rollins. I think he's a very uh, intelligent guy and well-spoken. And I, I yeah, I, I think very highly of him. Now, when it came to this article... I had a few issues with it. Uh, it, it seemed to me that he, it, re, it reminded me a little bit of a couple of years ago when Anthony Bourdain did his first Vegas show that he kind of was coming into it with this attitude of um, almost that anything that catered to the masses was mm -hmm. a, a just lame. Right. And it seemed like based on the examples that Rollins used, he might not have been looking too hard because he was talking about how, well, there are chain restaurants in every city and why would you come to Las Vegas? The strip is just chain restaurants and, and Donnie and Marie play here. And well, yeah, if you don't drive down the strip and you see a, a Denny's sign and the wrap on the outside of Flamingo and that's what you're basing your opinion on, I can kind of see that. But when you look at the restaurant scene in Las Vegas, there are far more incredible restaurants that aren't chain restaurants that you can't get anywhere else in the country. Yes, Donnie and Marie perform there, but so does Absinthe, which is right. amazing. Um, so I just got the feeling that he wasn't looking too hard for something that was different than you're going to find in any other city. The other thing, too, is yes, a lot of the things that are available in Las Vegas are available anywhere else, but I think he's missing the point that the reason that many of us go there again and again is we're getting a better version of what we're 
of, of, of those things than we might be getting at home. And we're getting like a supersized, much uh, more accessible version of all of it. Um, you, if you're into night, if you're into nightclubs, with the exception maybe of Miami, um, nobody really does nightclubs on the scope and scale of Las Vegas. If you're really right. into cocktails like I am, yeah, there are cocktail bars near where I live, but there aren't as many of them with as many different takes on it as you're going to get in a short time in Las Vegas. So I think you might kind of be missing missing the whole point. So you made a really interesting point when you talked about Bourdain's show. I think Bourdain is a genius too. I love him. He's great. Yep. But yep. he, I this is, seems to be a common theme. People sort of, I would say, misunderstand Las Vegas. Like, why? Why is that? Why is it so hard to understand? I think the city. I think it's kind of the the. the ah, I think that it's the city is a victim of expectations, where if you just if you just come to Vegas with the idea of hey, this is a cool place, and I'm going to find some interesting stuff and maybe meet some interesting people. It's one thing, but if the city is constantly hyping itself as this is the most awesome place ever, and there's everything that anyone could ever want, I think that's what does it. I think, and I think everybody also has that natural tendency to try to be out of the mainstream. Mm-hmm. So, if, yeah, 40 mm-hmm. million people here are coming here, and they love it, and all the people I see out on the street are drinking and having fun and having a great time. You know, um, there a lot of you know this, and this is not something new to Vegas. This is going back to when Tom Wolfe came to Vegas in 1966, writing for Esquire. You know, it's the this is a pretty old phenomenon. But I, I will also say, in Henry's defense, when you're working in a shoot 16, 18 hours a day, you don't have a ton of time to really explore the city. And I guess he's just responding to what he's seeing there. That's but he, it, in his conversation with me, he wasn't ever like, oh, this city sucks. You suck. He, which I know it's his, he's not going to do that because it's his job as a host not to do that. But he, see, he had a pretty deep knowledge of it. And also, one of I'm not going to say one of the few people, but... One of the people, I guess not so many people I've met who also really likes the movie Owning Mahoney. So <laughs> he he kind of I think he I think he gets the city at one level, probably at a different level than we all get it. Do you were you bummed out when like you thought you had this like great time with him and then you read this thing in the paper and it's like ah No, because pretty much he was saying the same thing to me. I was saying, yeah, that's true, but you know, so he he was so either he had already written it and he was just telling me what he wrote or he's kind of processing it as he was writing it. But I could see him kind of trying to put everything together. And uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, again, and it's not like he sat down and this is going to be his magnum opus. It looks like it's like maybe a 400 word piece while he's doing this pretty rigorous shooting schedule. So I don't know. I'm sure if we had him on the show, he would have something interesting to say for everybody. And also he, you know, if you're, for a lot of people, and even for me, coming to Vegas is really exciting. He's telling me about his trips to North Korea and Tehran and Islamabad when Bhutto was assassinated. So he's kind of, okay. I guess, you know, it takes something more to, to trigger that adrenaline, I guess, than just uh, walking down East Fremont. All right. Different well, kind of okay. dude. Different kind oh, of dude. Yeah. Okay. If you're judging it against, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't think you know. They don't. They don't have the high roller in Tehran. But, uh, <laughs> no. Yet. <laughs> That's where they're going to ship it after Caesar loses all their money. They're going to put it, send it there. Aren't Aren't the parts for Skyview being constructed there? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. All right. So um, we are sort of out of time. So we're going to. 
had a couple other things in here that we're going to skip over. Um, Caesars is still losing money. Surprise! And uh, Downtown Grand is shuffling their, reshuffling their executive ranks um, as they continue to circle the drain. So I don't know. I don't think we nearly need to get into those into those stories. Um, I uh, hope the folks at Downtown Grand survive, but it still looks pretty grim. Um, Caesars, their uh, earnings are incredibly funny because they have like three different companies now and some make money and a bunch lose a lot of money and they won't really talk about it. And it's just really funny to watch them sort of move the chairs around on that uh, sinking ship. But um, I want to uh, thank you guys for being here. We're going to do our Sure Bets segment, which is our opportunity to share with you all in the audience something that we think you might uh, that you might find interesting or you might like, and it could have something to do with casinos or Las Vegas, but it certainly doesn't have to. Um so, yeah, we're going to do sure bets. Um, Dave, if you have something, I'll start with you. Sure. I actually have three things. Okay. First of all, segueing from the last segment is the that show, 10 Things You Don't Know. I was just really impressed with the work that the crew did. Henry is a great host, great interviewer, and I think they've got a lot of interesting stuff. And there's some stuff that I think everybody's going to learn about Vegas or Hoover Dam or whatever it is. So, so really right. interesting do you, stuff. Do you know when it's going to air? It's going to start airing pretty soon. I think the first episodes are going to start in about three weeks or so. Okay. Not, not sure when the Vegas. I, I had Tim heard said that it was going to be the, yeah. the October 18th. Right. So oh, DVR wow. because you'll all be at VIMP. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Yeah. But I'm putting the whole series in my DVR just because it looks interesting. And I am too. I want to learn some stuff. Um, second thing Speaking of Tim, is Tim's Kickstarter. Aww. I, I, I'm excited to see the book. And knowing as an author how much it means to get that support, I think if you like what Tim does, you should get out there and support him. I have, and I hope everybody does, because it's really neat. It's really neat. And I think that the last year of Tim's life might someday make a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> that are, I mean, there's just such a great arc there. It's it's. I think that could be a movie. It's been interesting. Um, yeah, last. Uh, you, mean, you, you mean the last 365 days, not his last final year. Yeah, no, <laughs> not. Got it. Hope not. Please, yeah. Jeez. The preceding 365 <laughs> period. Um, the other, my other sure bet is all the wonderful work that Mr. Charles S. Monster's done, and will hopefully continue to do. And just appreciation for everything that he's done for the past 10 plus years for all of us. And, yes, uh, indeed. You're here. Just want to say we're all thinking of you. Yes, indeed. So, yeah, so we were making jokes about Chuck being on assignment in the Congo earlier. But uh, if, I'm sure folks that listen to the show are aware. He wrote a post on Vegas Tripping just basically saying he needed to take some time to uh, decompress and do some other stuff for a little while. And um, that extends to, to this show as well. So, we, of course, we, we wish him well and... Vimph um, is on 100%. So for those that might be worried about that, you don't need to worry. It's all it's all going to be good. And um, so, but yes, of course, uh, continually uh, recognize his massive contributions to all this stuff that we are uh, talking about here on a regular basis. So yes, absolutely. Double underline and um, double underline the Kickstarter thing as well. I supported the project as well. I'm super excited about it, and uh, I uh, I'm. Glad to see it going forward. So, excellent. 
Mr. Tim Dressen, do you have something for us today? Yes, I do. First of all, thank you very much for both of you for supporting and plugging the Kickstarter. I appreciate it a lot. And my sherbet actually kind of goes along with that because my sherbet is crowdfunding. Not just specifically my project, although I do appreciate that, but um, this is my first time on this side of crowdfunding where I'm the recipient of of the funds. But several, many times actually, I've been on the other side where I've donated to make something happen, whether it's a book or um, probably more often than not because I'm a music geek, uh, to make an album happen. And it's a really fun way to support the bands, the artists, the writers that you're into and to feel like you're part of something at a level that's beyond just buying their album or book or whatever. It's fun to go along for the ride and to be part of it and feel like I helped make this happen. So thumbs up to crowdfunding. I, you know, I definitely believe that crowdfunding and Kickstarter, there's Indiegogo, there's others, um, that they're, that whole idea is one of the best things to come out of the internet. Uh, Love it. And I, of all time, I literally mean that. I mean, just the idea now that you as a person that wants to create something can say, hey, I have this cool idea for a thing. Let me uh, go out there and see if people want to support it. And then you're able to raise the capital to do it. I mean, it's just amazing. It really is. It really means that we are getting so much stuff that we never would get uh, created in the world otherwise. I just think it's um, fascinating, amazing, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. So definitely agree. Great. Um, I'm going to recommend an iPhone app. Surprise, surprise. Um, so I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, you are listening to us right now as a podcast, if, even if you don't know what it is. Um, there are a lot of different ways you can listen to podcasts on your iPhone. There's a bunch of different podcast apps. One of them is from Apple, just called Podcasts. But there are a bunch of others, too, made by other folks. And I've pretty much tried them all because I do spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. And so I'm always trying to make sure I'm uh, using something that I really like and works well. And there is a new app for listening to podcasts that I have now switched over to. And I'm very happy with it. And it is called Overcast. Um, for those that may be aware of an app called Instapaper that's been popular for many years, uh, the author of Instapaper, who is no longer doing Instapaper, uh, created this cap, uh, podcast app called Overcast. And it supports a lot of the features that you would expect in a podcasting app. It's well-designed and it's simple, but it has a couple of things that you don't find in other places um, that I enjoy. So one of the things that a lot of podcast, app have, podcast apps have is this sort of idea of like variable speed. Like you can listen at like 2x or something. And I never use those features because I don't like people that sound like chipmunks. Um, but one of the features that's in Overcast that I really like is something called Smart Speed. And what it does is it looks at the podcast and it analyzes pauses. And so in a normal conversation, especially shows that aren't super tightly edited, there's a lot of pauses that go in there. And it selectively removes them so the conversation flows better. And you might hear that and sound like it may sound like that could never work or it sound funny it's not altering this the speed of the people talking or the pitch or anything like that it's literally just taking out excessively long pauses um it works incredibly well uh and it's one of those things where it actually it's funny it, the app keeps a tally of how much time it has saved you so if you listen to as many podcasts as i do um 
it actually really does add up over time. I think using this feature the last time I checked over the last couple of weeks has saved me something like six hours where it's pulled out extra extra long pauses out of the podcast I listen to. And I really can't even tell the difference listening as, a, as the person with the headphones on other than it does, some conversations actually sound a little bit punchier in, in a good way. So uh, there's a couple of other unique features in Overcast, but if you're a podcasting person and you like listening to podcasts and you use an iPhone, I would definitely recommend trying it out. The, the app is free to download. Um, if you want to get access to all the special features, you got to unlock them in the app. But uh, it is well worth it. I highly recommend it. It's called Overcast, and it's available on the iPhone. All right. Um, thanks, everybody, for being here. Please don't forget to rate the show in iTunes. It helps other people find us, which we very much appreciate. If you would like to leave comments about the show, please go to VegasGangPodcast.com or you can tweet at us at VegasGang on the tweeters. Um, that's what we got. I'm going to go around the table one more time so you guys can tell people where they can find you. Dr. Dave Schwartz, where can people find you? Um, uh, Gaming.unlv.edu or ggschwartz.com. Down at the center. Good. Very yes. Good. Always at the All center. All right. <laughs> Mr. Tim Dressen, where can people find you? 500bymidnight.com or on Kickstarter. Excellent. I cannot believe that there is a single person in the universe that listens to this show and does not listen to 500 by Midnight. <laughs> but if you are that person, you need to remedy that immediately. Um, not only are they incredibly more charming and funny than we are, they actually publish way more often. So you will like them. If you like this, you will like them. So definitely make sure you go and sign up to listen. Um, you can find me at VegasMate on Twitter and VegasMate.com and VegasMate in the App Store. Today is VegasMate's sixth birthday, which is pretty hey. amazing and awesome. Yeah. So happy birthday to VegasMate. Um, and yeah, that's all we got. Thank you guys. Have a fantastic weekend.